America's favorite topic is the the message today. Um, <laughs> you want to head up the Sunday school? Okay. Huh? Take a take a guess what this would be. Yeah. Take a guess what America's favorite topic. Politics. Yeah, yeah. I I just want to call your attention to the the last line of the song we just sang. Oh, I long for nothing else as long as you are glorified. Really, Jason, that's a perfect summary of the message uh, here this morning. Um, word of prayer, then we'll then we'll begin. So Jesus, um, let the words of that song ring true in our hearts, that you be glorified. And Lord, when you are not glorified, um, show, us this, show us here this morning what happens in our lives and in our life of our community in the world today, Lord, what happens when you're not glorified. Thank you, Jesus, that we have grace from Jesus Christ here this morning to have life eternal with you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so today um, I'm going to follow up on the message from last time. And um, nobody threw rotten eggs at me or tomatoes at me, so I figured I could continue on, but... The message is, what makes sin so horrible? Now, the last time I mentioned the word, we don't like the word sin, and we still don't like that word sin. Nobody talks about sin anymore. Finally, we admit, okay, God, I did disobey you. What's the big horrible deal about that? Who did I hurt? Who suffers? This is my topic this morning. What makes sin so bad? It's a serious topic. Not only to study, but also to uh, apply. So without knowing the grace of God, it wouldn't be very edifying to learn about the horror of sin. So we have to always remember God's grace and provision. And as try as I might, I've not found a way to talk about sin in a lighthearted way. Sorry, it's just not possible. But at the end of the day, um, I take courage from what Carla prayed at prayer meeting Sunday. I mean, last Wednesday night for Sunday. Um, she said that we'd be encouraged and filled with hope as a result of the message this morning. And as you were praying that, I was saying yes and amen, because I'm going to talk about sin. <laughs> and I, I thought, I said, that, Carla, that's a prayer of faith. Yes. Okay. Um, but I hope you are encouraged and filled with hope because of what Jesus has done. And we will realize it's only because of what Jesus has done that we can have any hope whatsoever. I hope that by seeing sin for what it truly is, each of us will want to put sin to death. And since we will take communion after the message, thank you, Preston, for preparing for us. Perhaps the Lord will bring a fresh application to you 
and to all of our souls. So begin, I want to recap a few points from the part one of the message from a couple of months ago, actually now, uh, where I said the natural inanimate world includes both materials, elements, and, and the planets, and the stars, and the immaterial ideas and natural laws that govern all of these elements. Um, we realize that gold on the earth is exactly the same as gold wherever it's found in the universe. It has the same properties because God said it to be so. The world, the elements of the natural world do not violate God's commands. They always function and exist exactly as the way God prescribed for them. And we call any exceptions to that, we don't call it sin. What do we call it? A miracle. <laughs> the axe head floats. Well, something about the iron of the axe head is violating the natural law. We call that a miracle. So violations of God's natural creation, we call miracles. The natural animate world of plants and animals, uh, and except for humans, these living organisms do not morally violate God's rules, but they are impacted by man's sin. They suffer because of our sin, and they groan, waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. Now, all humans, the third part of this group, humans are made in God's image out of the dust of the earth, right? They resist and they deny and they violate God's intentions. And we call all violations of God's moral intent, we call that sin. We have a lot of other words for it too, I'll get to you later. Some people are surprised that God's will can be resisted by humans. Think about it. How does a, a body of flesh, of dust, resist God who made it? But he created us with this it's a dubious ability today, but at some point it's going to become a glorious ability not to resist, but to <coughs> embrace, to glorify God. Now, the test in the Garden of Eden was a simple one. Um, yeah. It was simple to expose that the, the, the problem with sin was rebellion of the heart. If it had been a difficult test, then because I, well, I just failed, I tried my best and I failed. But this test was simple so that any failure would really expose what's in the heart. Um, for there was no other reason to disobey it. Adam had every other thing he needed in abundance. A life of perfection, if you will. Had Adam resisted the temptation, he and Eve could have eaten it from the tree of life and lived forever. But even in the wisdom of God, they would have lived forever in the earthly garden not the heavenly new garden of Eden to new Jerusalem. So it was fair, right, and just for God to judge man's sin the way he did. His response to sin shows his great grace and mercy to delay eternal judgment. It also conveys this great dignity to human beings that although being made from the dust, we are made in this image and that who we are and how we live truly matters to God. I'll say this again. Who you are and how you live truly matters to God. 
because you're made in his image. It matters to you if someone's made in your image, how they walk around and how they live, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. We realize that our greatest enemy is not the devil, who is an enemy, but he's not the greatest. Our greatest enemy is our sin because no one is cast into hell because of the devil. Only because of unforgiven sin. That being said, there are multiple paths today's message could take and maybe for a future time they will. We could start by discussing more questions, maybe something like this. Um, what happens if I never take steps to put sin to death in my life? What happens if you never take a step to put sin to death in your life? Well, you'll follow deeper and deeper into towards destruction and eternal separation from God and all that he desires for you. Romans 8, 13 puts it like this. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put the deed, death, the deeds of the body, you will live. Well, we could ask this question. What does sin's active presence in my life, presence in my life do in me? What does, it do, what does it do to me? Well, you will miss the active guiding and fragrant presence of God in your life. Instead, this evil root of sin will continue to grow into any and every form of evil. Or perhaps this question. What is the primary need I have to put sin to death? And I'll just say, um, you need the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. You need, uh, then followed by quickly by repentance. <laughs> That's how you start. It's not summoning, sum, summoning up supernatural strength. It's uh, conviction by the Holy Spirit. Now, now, all of these are meaningful topics, perhaps for the future, but I want to remind you, as we read the scriptures, you'll find many words that relate to sin and refer to sin. Here are 20 of them. <laughs> I'll say, well, what are other words for miracles? Well, there's signs and wonders and works and miracles. So there's a few. But when we talk about sin, we have a wide range of, of words that have been created to discuss sin. Wickedness, iniquity, transgression, trespass. Straying, lawless, debt, guilty, fault, miss, unbelief, evil, blemish, error, ungodly, wicked, spot, injustice, fallen, rebel. Each of these words expresses the failure of a key attitude or behavior towards God. And a, 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 a disjunction between his perfect plan and commands and the way we're actually living. So truth bears a, a great deal of, of uh, departure from truth. These acts or thoughts are opposed to God in his ways. Something for which there is absolutely no reason since he is already known as loving, kind, and good. He is more loving than you ever thought possible. He is kinder than you ever realized was, was available to you. And he's good. He's good. People have done what the natural elements and laws would never do. We've even got to the point where we don't want to know the way God says we should live. We don't want to know God in our hearts and our minds, so we reject his wisdom and his power and his love. Genesis 4, 7 states our rebellion like this when it says... Um, 
And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. Sin's desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Sin, sin gushes out of the heart of every rebellion. Romans 3.23 makes it really clear. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Can, can you see how horrible this is? What if all nature disregarded the rules of God? All the natural laws of God just violated everything he said. So I want to look at this verse again, which most Christians memorize early in their walk with God. Romans 3.23. The part where you know is, for all of sin to fall short of the glory of God. That's why as, as long as you are glorified, Jason, the, that line really summarizes it. What does it mean that all of sin to fall short of the glory of God? What does that mean? What does it mean that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? To address this, I want to go back earlier in Romans starting with uh, chapter 1, verses 18, and I'll read through 31. It's a long passage. But God is, is, is upset. <laughs> Paul, Paul talks about how upset God is when he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. Resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You can see what, what God is upset. He says, here is the perfect holy God and you're comparing me to creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. It goes on. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men, likewise, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, 
insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. These are solemn words, y'all. Here Paul lays out the argument why the wrath of God is stored up against sin and its nature and what the effects are on mankind. And he summarizes all this in Romans 3.23. Falling short of the glory of God must mean all people lack the glory of fully embracing the glory of God as their delight and their, their joy and their treasure. We have no glory of our own except that we are made in the image of God. And when we disregard that and live our own way, we, we de-honor God. Instead of glorifying God by delighting and rejoicing in knowing and abiding in him as the creator and provider, people have sought glory in hoping and delighting and loving lesser things, creeping things even. Why do I say this? Well, look at the, how these verses express the sin of mankind and why it falls short of God's glory. As I point these out, ask yourself if you have done the same. The falling short is that sinners suppress the truth about God. That's in Romans 118. In 121, sinners don't glorify God and don't thank God. In 123, sinners exchange God's glory for images. In 125, sinners exchange the truth about God for a lie. And they worship and stand in awe of things God made, not God himself. In 128, sinners disapprove of having got the true God in their knowledge. They don't even want to know anything about God. They reject even knowing God. That's where sin will take you. The falling short is that sinners neither want to know God nor his ways. Instead, sinners prefer other things and other persons more than they prefer God. Sinners do not find God as their ultimate treasure. Sinners have failed to know, prize and cherish and love God above all things. You can see why we need grace, y'all. This is a... This is just, but this is the truth. Every person begins their life controlled by this sin. This lack of desire to glorify God is the essence of our sinful condition <coughs> and the root of all sin. We want something else more than we want God. This root must be put to death. And this is what Jesus came to accomplish. That's what we hold on to. Is what Jesus came to do for us. Now I've, I've read many words for from the scripture about for sin. And there are many definitions about sin. They concern transgressions and pride and rebellion and lawlessness and unbelief about not doing what we should do and doing what we shouldn't do, which is likely why there are reasons so many words given to express what sin is. I found this definition by John Piper, one of my favorite guys, and he says this, 
Sin is any feeling or thought or speech or action. You see how it goes. It goes from feeling to thought to speech to action that comes from a heart that does not treasure God more than all things. The foundation of sin, the root of all sinning, is the heart that prefers anything more than God. A heart that does not treasure God above all other persons, all other things, and all other ideas. This definition says that the failure of the heart to be confident in the promises of God and to rejoice and find pleasure in his provision for the future is the root and essence of all sin. God is calling us to be confident in the promises of God at all times. God is calling us to rejoice and find pleasure in his provision for our futures, to trust him. And the absence of that is where sin festers and grows. It's this evil unbelief that displeases God in every sinful act. We can see this in Hebrews eleven six, where it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Piper goes on to draw a picture with words chosen to help us see and consider what the sin of falling short really looks like. As I read these, think about how you respond to trial and how you pursue God. And if abiding in God is the ultimate desire of your life. Piper says, sin is the glory of God not honored. The holiness of God not reverenced. The greatness of God not admired. The power of God not praised. The truth of God not sought. The wisdom of God not esteemed. The beauty of God not treasured. The goodness of God not savored. The faithfulness of God not trusted. The promises of God not believed. The justice of God not respected. The (coughs) wrath of God not feared. The commandments of God not obeyed. The grace of God not cherished. The presence of God not prized. The person of God not loved. You can see, can you see how God would despise these sorts of rebellion? Here's another way to think about sin. God is the perfect being (coughs) revealed to us in three persons, glorious in wisdom, flawless understanding, sure in counsel, absolute in power, possessing infinite knowledge, who revealed himself as both light and love, who created all the people of this world in his image and gave them his word and his son, who then confirmed his rule and his reign to them with many signs and wonders and miracles, and who demonstrated his bountiful compassion and mercy and grace and patience to us. Yet people grumble and complain against God, saying, prove to me that you exist. You've never done anything for me. I don't need you in my life or in my bedroom. Is this us? Perhaps you say. Maybe we should ask why it is that people rightly become emotionally and morally indignant 
over human poverty and exploitation and prejudice and abortion and the many injustices of man against man, but then feel little or no remorse or indignation or outrage that God is disregarded, disbelieved, disobeyed, dishonored, and thus belittled by billions of people in the world today? Can you imagine the patience of God? Why have we misplaced our indignation and outrage as a people? Because of sin. The answer is sin. The ultimate horror of the universe is sin. This theft of glory of God is the greatest outrage of all. That God is continually degraded and denied by every man, woman, and child on the face of the planet. And it all began when Adam rebelled against God in the garden. Can you feel the weight of this? This is why, as believers, we must despise sin. This is why, as believers, we take action to put sin to death in our life. And this is why, as believers, we cling to Jesus with every ounce of who we are. (laughs) He is the only solution. Even after Paul makes clear the root of sin and falling short of the glory of God in Romans 1-3, through he goes on in later chapters to warn us of sin's powerful control within us. Y'all, the story is bleak. The people in darkness, they saw a, good, a great light though. The story is bleak until Jesus appears. But once Jesus appears, everything changes. We have to hold on to him. He is our only hope. Later chapters in Romans, he talks about sin's powerful control over us. He explains in in (coughs) Romans 5.21, sin reigns in death like a king would reign. 6.14, this is all in Romans. Sin holds dominion like a law of a great lord. And in 6.16 and 6.20, sin controls like a slave master. We've heard stories about slave masters. We've heard stories about cruel and awful kings and and lords. In 7.8, sin snatches opportunities to produce more sin. In 7-11, sin is a power that seizes the law and kills. It points to the law and says, you're guilty, you need to die. Sin is the one who, to whom we have been sold. In 7-14, and 20, sin is a hostile, occupying army that dwells within us. In 7-23, sin is a law that takes us captive. Now, on the side, I could take every one of those verses and I could tell you how Jesus has given us, you name it, forgiveness, freedom, liberty, victory in every one of those things. This is the only reason that we can take hope at the end of the message. When you take your communion, we're going to think about what Jesus has done for us to deliver us from all these things. Sin is the evil ruling presence in everyone 
that defines and identifies them until they are born again. John 3, 6 explains that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And Paul adds in 7, 18, nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Before becoming a new creation by the spirit of God through saving faith in Jesus, we are known by our resistance to sin. Every person that you know who does not know Jesus they identify in their sin. They're defined by sin. They are known by sin <coughs> because they don't live for the glory of God. We are total. We were totally bound and controlled by sin. Romans eight seven says, "The mind of the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot." To be clear, sinners don't want to submit to God's wisdom. Sinners disapprove of God as their supreme treasure. Sinners prefer created things more than the creator. Sinners have misvalued their entire reason and purpose for existing on the earth. I want to hate sin. Do you want to hate sin? Well, then let's just stop being sinners. (laughs) What have we been waiting for? You can go ahead and lay to rest forever the idea that your sin is mainly what you do or you don't do. It's not it. It is who we are. Which is why to break free, we must become a new creature in Christ. Even then, for everyone who is born of sin, sin remains an ever-present enemy that with the help of the Spirit must be fought and put to death every day. And through the Spirit, we receive grace from God to grow to hate sin, both the idea of sin and the action of sin, and to grow in love and glorify God in His greatness. That's the surpassing greatness of the power of God. In the past, I've tried to avoid sin. You know, I've I've tried to avoid sin. But now I know I need to despise sin. You read the New Testament, and everything that Paul says is the will of God for you. You need to embrace that and despise anything other than that. I believe you want to despise sin too. That's why you come to church. You want to grow to despise sin. You want to live a life before God that honors Him. And when I begin to see how ugly sin really is and how beautiful Christ is, My heart swells with thankfulness to God for taking my sin upon himself. Why would he do such a thing? Except that he wants to restore us to fellowship relationship with him and he wants Jesus to be glorified forever for what he has done for us. And that will be the song on our lips forever. Let's all fight against sin by honoring God as the ultimate glory of our lives. Are you persuaded to hate sin here this morning? As evil as sin is, you would be right to expect that it actually brings many more horrors as a result. And simply to uh, give you more fuel to the fire for a reason to hate sin. 
I want to name some of these terrors. And let us be motivated to hate sin even more as I do. Sin does this to us. Sin separates us from relationship with God and the joy of abiding in Him forever. Sin rejects God's authority to rule our lives, which releases tremendous guilt within us. Sin dishonors God's holiness and glory, which casts shame on our hearts and our minds. You get the picture? I mean, here we are. No joy, guilt, and shame so far. That's what's to our credit at the moment. Sin insults God's word and wisdom, so we are ignorant of truth and knowledge. Add ignorant to our list. Sin blasphemes God's righteousness and perfection, producing every sort of evil. Add evil to our column. Sin hardens our hearts and minds against God's through its deceitfulness. Wouldn't it be awful late in life to realize that your whole life has been lived as one of deceit and you've missed knowing the true author of life. Sin skews our view of reality causing us to forsake truth and grasp for false hopes. Sin violates our purity and character corrupting our souls and our minds and our bodies. Sin forsakes God's glory that was to be shared with us. So instead, we suffer God's wrath. Add God's wrath to that column. Sin hides God's face from us so that he does not hear our prayers. Sin quenches the sanctifying work and ministry of the Holy Spirit within us. Sin deadens our conscience to the conviction and the correction of the Holy Spirit. Sin destroys human dignity, having shattered God's image given to all creation. Sin fills, produces and fills the earth with every pain, every fear, every tragedy, every misery, and every death. Should I go on? This is a staggering and solemn list. Maybe you feel the enslaving power of sin. Sin is not some alien force. It's our seeking a substitute in exchange of God's glory. Sin is our preference for anything over God. Sin is our disapproval of God. Sin is our suppression of God's truth. Sin is our heart's hostility towards God. But praise God. This is the good news. Praise God. He has responded to the ultimate outrage of sin by delaying his fierce destruction of all who have rebelled against him. Now, he didn't delay this in Noah's days. Well, for a hundred years he did. And God has shown extreme kindness and gentleness and mercy to those who will bow down and worship him. Praise God. He provided a savior who with surpassing glory has overcome all of these horrors. A savior who fully loved and honored the father when we could not. 
A Savior who showed us who the Father truly is and came to set us free from every curse I've just read to you. He came to set us free from the sin found at the very foundation of our hearts. And when we believe, Jesus gives his spirit. He sends his spirit to give us power to fight sin. That's why he's called the Holy Spirit. I mean, Jesus is holy and the Father's holy. He's called the Holy Spirit because his work is to make you holy. Jesus gives us a new heart, a new identity. And the transformation of our mind and the way we think can finally begin. The remedy Jesus bought for us required him to give up his own glory. So this is a real interesting study about glory. For us to receive glory, Jesus had to give up his glory. For us to receive life, Jesus had to give up his life. The remedy Jesus bought for us required him to give up his own glory so that we could be restored to glory. The remedy required him to live without fault and full obedience of the righteousness prescribed by the law of Moses because we couldn't do that. The remedy required him to suffer the most painful death inflicted by cruel men and experience the full wrath of God stored up against every sin of all people who would ever repent so that we wouldn't have to experience that wrath. Jesus defeated sin on our behalf. Now he calls us to turn from evil and walk in his victory. It is fitting that God the Son Jesus be worshipped forever by the redeemed. It is, it is fitting that God the Son be confessed by the condemned at the day of judgment. It is fitting and right that God be glorified and exalted by all creatures in heaven on earth. Jesus came to rescue and save God's people from their sin. And he's equipped, equipped, equipped us with what we need to fight sin. But it doesn't just happen on its own. Persuade your heart to give yourself to this task. Ask the Spirit to help you love God with all your heart, all of your mind, all your soul, and all of your strength, and to live for His glory. I'm not going to tell you what you shouldn't do. I'm going to tell you what you should do. Ask the Spirit of God to give you a greater love for God. And to live for Him. Ask Him to reveal and to convict all falling short of that. Ask him to guide you to lay down any sinful desires and to place your full trust in the saving grace of Jesus. I'm sure God, through his son Jesus, will offer forgiveness for all those who come to him. He will give us a robe of righteousness, a crown of beauty. Please consider these things as we go to communion. I want to read this one. The rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say. This is Romans 3, 21 through 25. So it brackets the falling short verse. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let us pray again. Lord, it's a terrible thing to speak of sin if you have no hope because it condemns at every level. Lord, I just pray that the reminder that we've heard this morning would simply be a pointer to the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ in our lives. That it's upon Jesus alone that we, we, we commit our future and our present and our past. Lord, may all of these horrors and terrors of sin not befall us. Lord, we give you thanks for your mercy in our lives. And Lord, may we learn and grow to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to glorify you in all things. As long as you are glorified, Father, that's our heart's desire. So Lord, as we come now to a point of communion, we consider Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, you do a mighty thing within us all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Preston. You weren't getting a lot of amens. <laughs> But we were thinking deeply about what you had to say. <laughs> um, after you consider all the things Bill has mentioned, how big and wide and pervasive sin is, just think about this. <coughs> Jesus was sinless in act, in thought, in motive as he walked the earth. You know, I... Um, it just amazes me. I, this, I haven't thought about this deeply, but it came to mind as Bill was speaking. Um, I want to read um, a part out of Isaiah that, you know, Jesus says, as often as you do this, remember me. And I told Bill this morning, a lot of times we, we, we remember this one act, his sacrifice. But this morning, let's just remember his whole life. And there's a, the fourth suffering servant song in Isaiah speaks to that. So I'm going to read that and consider consider this. The Bible says that Lot's soul was tormented when he lived in Sodom. Not sure I get all that, but Lot was Lot. How was it that Jesus walked this earth among sinful men, loved them to the uttermost, had compassion for them, Maybe this is why part of the time he went away to a lonely place. 
I don't know, but consider his walk as we read through this. I'm going to start in Isaiah 52, verse 13. This, this passage speaks of Jesus. It says, See, my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted. But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. And he will startle many nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence, for they will see what they had not been, for they will see what they had not been told. They will understand what they had not heard about. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And he thought his troubles, and we thought his troubles, were a punishment from God. A punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sin, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly. Yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him <coughs> grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. For he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded 
for the rebels. So we come to this time to remember him. This is how he walked the earth and still had love and compassion for the people around him. Um, I'm going to ask Greg, if you will, from right where you are, if you'll just pray for the the bread and the and the juice, um, and then you come up at your leisure and get it, and we'll take it together. <clears throat> Lord, you know everything about everything. There's nothing hidden from you. When our heart strays, you know it, Lord, even before we do. When thoughts enter our mind that are ungodly, that are not honoring to you, Lord, you know them even before we do. So, Lord, I do pray that um, you would help us to love you more, to honor you more, to cherish you more, to desire all that you desire, Lord. That would be our great desire too. Yes, Lord. I pray for a cleansing, for an honoring of your Son. Lord, have your way with us. Help us to despise sin and to love righteousness. We just come before you, Lord, and bow down in your name. Amen. Amen. Come as you will.